Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 180. 180. Here we are again. When we're talking about the crazy times uh, we live in, one of the advantages of selecting that as a topic is that you never have to worry about running short of material. I recently saw that there were some serious think pieces being written worrying about black people who were white supremacists. Okay. Black people who were white supremacists. This was responded to appropriately by Titania McGrath. He's some Brit. I've, I forgot his real name, but he, he tweets under the uh, false avatar of Titania McGrath, a woke white woman. And she, uh, she you know, quote unquote, she says, basically said, identified herself as a, as a white woman of color, as a white person of color. She wanted to denounce certain things. Well, she, of course, she's sending up this uh, this silliness. But it illustrates when you can when you uh, have black people who are being tagged as white supremacists, black people who are being described as traitors to their race, and then that opens the door for the parody of "I'm a white person of color." What has happened? Well, what's happening here? is that all the cachet of um, all the value that is associated with being black is now being moved over to a particular political party, a particular political ideology. In other words, like Joe Biden said during the campaign, if you don't support this, this, and this, you ain't black. Oh, I see. I've got to sign off. Being black has a platform committee. And if you don't agree with it, if, if you're uh, a black economist like Walter Williams or Thomas Sowell, and you don't agree with the planks in this platform, that that somehow undoes your racial identity, that that somehow affects <laughs> Joe Biden. Who died and left Joe Biden in charge of who's black? That can only be happening if this is a collision of two ideologies. And it, that's precisely what it is. So, the people who say, well, being white is being white and being black is being black, uh, that is the position that is articulated by people who love freedom. The other party, let's, let us call them commies, are the people who want to take every, anything and everything that has any value at all and bring it into the service of the party. Okay. This is our ideology. This, we want to control everything. We want to define everything. We want to control particularly the dictionary. And so we are going to say that if you're conservative, if you're a black man who marries a black woman and you've got three black kids and you want to remain faithful to that woman and you've got a good job and you're working hard and you are buying your house and you've got a nice car, what are you doing? The commies would say, well, you're acting white. You're acting white. You're betraying your people. Oh, so 
I'm betraying my people if I don't live in squalor. If I don't live in a ghetto, I'm betraying my people. And if I show my people, if I show them the way out of poverty, that's betraying them. And if I lapsed into the corruptions that you guys have created in the inner city, and if I surrender to them, uh, then somehow I'm being loyal to my people. Uh, it's, it's very clear that this is a clash of ideologies. It's a clash between those who love liberty and those who hate liberty. And those who hate liberty will lie about anything. And they will lie in, in the teeth of the most glaringly obvious things. You're not really black. Clarence Thomas is not really black. Thomas Sowell is not really black. Joe Biden said it himself. An old white man said, if you don't support my policies, you ain't black. Well, this, of course, being black and being white now is an ideological football. And I think that more conservatives ought to start playing. In other words, instead of having the parody account of uh, Titania McGrath claiming that she's a white person of color, I think Ted Cruz ought to claim it. Yeah, so if I think if leading conservatives started to seriously swallow the reductio and show, demonstrate, not, not only say that these things are absurd, but act in such a manner as to, to prove that they really do think it's absurd, I think we'd be making a lot of real headway. This is podcast episode 180, and we've now come to our hamartiology section. As we continue our study of sin, which we are calling hamartiology, we come now to the word that refers to demon possession. The word is daimonizomai, daimonizomai, and is rendered in various ways in the authorized version. Possessed of a devil, vexed with a devil, or someone who has a devil. You are no doubt familiar with the idea, and there are many, so I'm not going to quote them all, but I am going to refer to them all, all the places that are rendering this word daimonizomai. In Matthew 4.24, it says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, there's our word, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. So that's Matthew 4.24. You also have a passage, similar passage, in Matthew 8.16. And here's another one, Matthew 8.28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. All right, so that's in Matthew 8.28. And there's a parallel account in Mark 5.15, uh, Mark 5.16, and Mark 5.18, where the same word is used. Uh, there, one interesting thing to note here is that Mark records, this, uh, Mark records this man as being possessed by a devil, when there were, in fact, a bunch of them. And we can see another use in Matthew 8.33 and in Luke 8.36. Scripture distinguishes between different effects that different kinds of devils have. So, for example, there was a dumb devil. In other words, a devil rendered a, per a, a person unable to speak. So, some people would be dumb. So, let's say someone had been um, had a bad accident they, or they'd been tortured and their tongue was cut out. Uh, they would be dumb. They would not be able to speak because of a physical wound, a physical uh, problem. But there are places in Scripture where where this inability to speak is attributed to a devil. 
Matthew 9.32. And they went out. Behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. So this is a per- so, and when Jesus casts out the devil, he's able to speak. So uh, the dumbness is caused by the devil. So there's a difference between uh, dumbness that is physically caused and dumbness that is the result of a spiritual bondage. Another was a devil that caused blindness and dumbness. That's in Matthew twelve twenty two. This the one. I pre- the previous one was Matthew nine thirty two. This is Matthew twelve twenty two. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. All right. So uh, this person has a devil, and because of the devil, he's blind. He has a blind devil. He has a dumb devil, or in this case, it was one devil that, that made him rendered him both blind and dumb, and Jesus healed him. So there are other cases in the Gospels where Jesus heals a blind man. And the problem is simply with his eyes. In other words, he, it's, there's a difference between someone who is blind because he has a blind devil and someone who is blind because there's something wrong with his eyes. We don't have any cases in Scripture where someone has a broken leg devil, right? Uh, a broken leg is a broken leg. Someone who's lame is someone who's lame. But you do have dumb devils and you do have blind and dumb devils. This makes me think, for example, that when someone is described in Scripture as having an unclean spirit, the consequence was uh, that they lived in extreme squalor. So, if a dumb spirit uh, or a blind and dumb spirit makes you, renders you speechless or renders you blind and dumb, then, um, then an unclean spirit, it would seem to me, would make you, that you're, you live in filth. Then there's a different rendering in the case of the woman from Syrophoenicia. And this is in Matthew fifteen twenty two, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. This is the same word, and that was a choice by the translators to say that she was vexed by a devil. And then the last instance in the Gospel of John, the use, uh, the use there is in a debate over whether Jesus was possessed by a devil. How can that be? Some, someone asked. Uh, and that was a good question, right? In John 10, 21, others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And the answer is obviously not. A devil can make someone blind, but how could a devil open the eyes of the blind? So, uh, one other comment before we leave, uh, before we leave this question of demon possession. In non-Christian cultures, in primitive cultures, animistic cultures, um, and and in the culture of the New Testament, whether someone was demon-possessed was diagnostically easy. Everybody knew who the demon-possessed person in the village was. Uh, he's the guy sitting on the edge of the village chewing on his arm. You know, that, so, you could see the demonization through the effects. And, but Scripture has their demons that, that cause people to have seizures, but then there are also people who have seizures that don't have a demon. Uh, so, the, the scripture has a category for epilepsy, and it has a category for someone who's de- possessed by a demon, and they, they have fits and are thrown into the fire, for example, as the, the boy um, who is brought to Jesus right after the Mount of Transfiguration. So, the Bible makes careful distinctions as on, on the subject, as should we. 
All right, the book I want to recommend in this um, episode uh, 180 that we are uh, of the podcast is uh, John Plowman's talks. There's a um, John Plowman is a character that was invented by uh, Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon was, as you know, a, an enormously influential minister in the uh, 19th century in London. And uh, he was uh, converted as a teenager and began preaching as a teenager. And he was just enormously gifted and became world famous, world renowned. Well, there, there are um, certain books of his I, would, I much prefer over others. Uh, when he was preaching, so uh, Charles Spurgeon was a um, true blue Victorian. Right? So he, w- he was a Victorian preacher. Now, if you get him in certain books, his, um, I'll recommend three. John Plowman's uh, is one of them. Another is Lectures to My Students. And another is a little book, if you ever find, I found it in a used bookstore somewhere, called Eccentric Preachers. Eccentric Preachers. Uh, most, uh, most of the time, Spurgeon is known through his devotional literature or his sermons. And when you read it, when you look at his sermons, he's, I'll just speak honestly, you know, right here between us girls, Spurgeon's sermons and devotional literature is a bit too flowery for me. He's not as bad as some of the other uh, Victorians, but he's, he is a, there's a little bit too, a little bit of too much purple. So there, I said it. But in uh, lectures to my students, where, where he's talking, he's teaching uh, his ministerial students how to preach and how to minister, it is down-to-earth, practical, earthy, funny, pointed. Uh, it's just really uh, good. You know, he doesn't wax flowery the way he does in some of his sermons. So lectures to my students is just a fantastic book. But that's not the book I'm plugging here. John Plowman is a... Um, personage that um, Spurgeon adopts. He's speaking in the character of an honest English yeoman who is a godly man who knows his Bible and who is passing on all kinds of practical, proverbial advice and um, talking about various sins and foibles and faults that people have, whether it's laziness or talking too much or whatever. And um, it is just, just marvelous. Uh, it is a uh, great collection of homely English proverbs and adages and instructions. And now he, in his lifetime, I believe he published two different volumes of um, John Plowman. And these, uh, it's very good for if if you want something that is uh, highly entertaining to read around the dinner table for your. Um, for your family devotions, for you know, instructing your kids, uh, this would be just a ticket. This would be a really good book to uh, to get. Look it up on Amazon. And Plowman is spelled in the English way: P L O U G H M A N. John Plowman. So John Plowman by Spurgeon. And there's a modern edition uh, that has both of the both of the separate volumes that he uh, published in his lifetime contained in one volume. It's really worthwhile. I think your kids, upper elementary and junior high age, would really uh, profit from it and really enjoy it. Mm-hmm.